This is the Christian Heritage London podcast from London. Well, it is a great privilege for me to be sitting here with Dean and Sarah. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. It's great to be in London and to be with you. Excellent. And Dean is pastor of uh, City Church, Tallahassee. Capital city of Florida in the United States. <laughs> and also author of a number of books, uh, the, the most recent of which is called Pure. Pure. Now, where did you, you originally come from, Dean? So I was born in the very southern part of the state of Florida, uh, which is down on the Atlantic Ocean, uh, not really too far from the Florida Keys, only about 90 miles from Cuba. I mean, very, very south Florida, wow. just to give our listeners an idea geographically of where it's located. And then I moved to Tallahassee, which is a very northern part of the state of Florida when I was a child. Uh-huh. And I grew up in the city where I live in Pastor now. How old is a child? I moved to Tallahassee when I was nine years old. Okay. So you remember being right there down in the south? I do. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Okay. Very diverse area uh, where uh, probably as many people currently speak Spanish as they do English wow. down that part of the state currently. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But you, having grown up from nine at Tallahassee, you have stayed there. Presumably you went away to study at some point. I went away to study. I went away uh, to Liberty University in the state of Virginia, which is a Christian university. Yes, indeed. And I did a biblical studies uh, degree program there and then went on to seminary. Uh-huh. And where did you study seminary? I, I began my studies at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, in Louisville. And then I finished at Midwestern Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri. Okay. Isn't that great? Do you know Michael McMullen? I do not know Michael McMullen. Uh, he teaches church history at Midwestern Biblical Theological Seminary. Okay. And uh, he's a great blessing. He published the previously unpublished sermons of Edwards and the the journals of Wilberforce, and he's our friend. And the Charles Spurgeon Library is at Midwestern Seminary. There you go. And they have quite the incredible collection uh, of uh, Spurgeon just historical artifacts. I have uh, stood in his old pulpit that's on display in uh, the museum there. Wow. That's yeah, really neat. How about that? <laughs> yeah. And his, his library. His library's there. All so, his old books. Did, did it, did, have you ever looked through to see underlinings? They don't let you touch it, but, uh, <laughs> but I definitely have seen them all. And they do a nice little tour, and it's, it's great. So you come from Florida, but you've sensed the potency of London's church history. And it was great this morning to take you through the church history. Oh, absolutely. My favorite part of visiting London is getting a chance to go on a walk through uh, London's church history with you. It really is fantastic. And uh, we're here uh, to support uh, a local church planter in Queens Park. Mm. Uh, Our church is a part of supporting and one of our own former members and staff members was sent over here to be a part of the team yes. at, at the church in Queens Park. So while we're here, we certainly wanted to just get a taste of, of what has happened in this great city for a long time to build the church and spread the gospel to the world. Amen. Yeah, well, that, that Redeemer at Queens Park is always so grateful for what they're doing. I love the way they're, so, they're pushing. I just Definitely. love the way they're pushing with, and substantial. They were an example to the rest of us in a provocation. And we're thrilled to be part of it from a distance, definitely. Yeah, bless you. So do you remember how it was you came to understand the gospel yourself? I, I do. I was raised what we call in the United States mainline Protestant. I don't know the terminology they use over here, uh, but uh, is a sort of historic uh, denomination. Uh, but sadly, many of the mainline Protestant churches have really abandoned the gospel, uh, if not forgotten it altogether. Uh, a lot of uh, theological progressivism and liberalism has really invaded that. And so I was raised going to a church with really nice people or we went every Sunday unless someone was sick or we were on vacation out of town somewhere uh, and I was told stories about the Bible and told moral lessons from the Bible but never had anyone actually tell me I was a sinner Whoa. who needed to be saved from my sins God. so I, if you'd ask if I was a Christian I, told, I would have told you yes and by that I just meant I believed in God kind of a generic God a vague <laughs> faith uh, that I was a good person and that I came from a Christian family so that's kind of how I understood being a Christian and, and by Christian family again I don't mean a Christian defined 
defined by the work of Christ, but just our uh, identity as Christians was more or less that we thought we were good people and we weren't atheists. <laughs> it's basically how we define not being you know, of another world religion, right. like Islam or Judaism or Buddhism, something along those lines. So I was invited as a 13-year-old. I was in middle school, as we call it, over, over back in the United States, uh, to uh, a Fellowship of Christian Athletes Retreat, which is a campus ministry a parachurch campus ministry uh, that focuses on athletes and coaches mm-hmm. and uses the realm of athletics and sports to take the gospel to people. And how old were you? At this I was 13 years old okay. and I was, as an athlete, I was a football player and a baseball player uh-huh. and uh, American football that is. <laughs> uh-huh. And I was uh, invited to this retreat and it sounded like a good thing because I love sports and it said Christian and sure I'm a Christian because I'm a good person and I'm not an atheist. That's how I would have, you know, where do we say prayers before dinner? That, that type uh-huh. of idea. I owned a Bible, that kind of thing. <laughs> Somewhere. Uh, yeah, and some well, I don't think I've ever read it, but I had one. And um, I think my, my parents would read me stories and teach me things. But again, I had no idea of my need for the gospel for Christ uh, because, again, I was a good person. Uh, so at that retreat, for the first time, I didn't know what it was called at the time, but I had someone preach what I had heard the first time was an actual gospel message. Wow. Where he talked about the need for us as sinners to trust in Christ that God is holy. He won't let sin go unpunished. God is also gracious and merciful rather than punishing us as our sins deserve. You know, Christ stands in our place. You know, mm. the, the punishment for our sins was laid upon him. I'd never heard that before. Mm. So they gave an, like a, a in gospel invitation, like the opportunity to respond to the good news and to trust in Christ. I'd never seen one, something like that happen in my entire life. Uh, so I joke, but there is some truth to it, that I was the first person to ever come to Christ and be angry about it. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. I had joy. But in the moment, I'm thinking, how have I been in church my entire life? And no one's ever told me this before. Right that I needed a savior mm. and that his name is Jesus. Mm. No one ever told me that before. Wow. I might've heard Jesus referred to as that, but it was always just very vague and generic and not personal. It wasn't, you need this. Yeah. You know, the cross I knew about, the, I knew about, I mean, I went to church on Easter Sunday and dressed up nicer that day and, and all the cultural customary things, but there was just no significance to it. like mm. of what this actually meant mm. uh, for my life and for the world. Uh, so I gave my life to Christ that day, had a coach, uh, that was like, there were some coaches who were volunteering at the sports retreat uh, were there to receive people who wanted to come forward. And I, um, he sat down and I answered a lot of my questions and I had a chance to trust in Jesus that day. And I, I came home and I, I was a little overzealous. I walked in the door and I said, our church is terrible. <laughs> yeah, and my parents said, whoa, you know, settle down. Uh, but what I realized uh, shortly after was cultural Christians, nominal Christians, and by that, I mean people who define their Christianity not by Christ or the gospel, but by simply family heritage, morals, vague belief. Uh, they think the only difference between themselves and an actual believer, like a regenerate converted believer, is, oh, you're just really into your religion. Okay. Like we're Christians too. Right. And he's just really – I respect that. That's a little sad. Actually, basically, you're the person who gets asked to pray at Thanksgiving you know, or Christmas dinner right, <laughs> because right, you say right. good prayers in their eyes. Oh, they wow. don't understand that the difference is actually Christ. Right. You know, and, and his work on our behalf. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that's life. my story. It's, it, and I think I do have, I like to say that there's no such thing as a boring testimony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because anyone who knows Jesus has been brought from death to life. Amen. Uh, so mine is a story of being brought from death to life. But the, the difficult part of my story is I didn't think I was dead in my sense. Yeah, yeah. I thought I was fine. Right. Because, because I wasn't an atheist. Mm-hmm. I wasn't these other things. I kept up with the morality of my area, what that looks like to live a good life. So I thought it was fine. So I almost had it. It's almost like I had to get lost in order to get saved. Wow. And I'm grateful to God for that. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe yeah. Open my eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Now you've retained your fascination with sport as anyone knows who looks at your Twitter page. And yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> big sports fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's good for me. Cause I mean, in, in my, in my world with a church and 
just all the leadership things I'm involved with and writing and theology and, and uh, more important, I mean, obviously being a dad and being a husband, like there's just a lot going on. So I just need my little hobbies and breaks and sports yeah. is kind of that for me. Yeah, 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 this yeah. allows me to be engaged in something that doesn't ultimately matter. Yeah. <laughs> I think sometimes we need a little bit of that. Amen. Yeah. So it's a, I'm definitely a big sports fan. Your, your, your Twitter feed is refreshing for that reason because uh, Ray Ortland said years ago, he said, um, Twitter is awful for a debate. It is useless for correction. But it's good for encouragement. Definitely. And you kind of think, Ray, why did you, why did it take you to say it before everyone else got it? You know, <laughs> it seems so obvious, but you're just, you're, the, the stuff you put out there is lighthearted, fun, and it's just, it's banter and it's, it's, it's sport. It's fun. It's easygoing. I like that. Well, thank you. I think there's just a real need today for pastors, uh, for a generation to rise up of people who take God really seriously and not themselves. <laughs> Because they're sort of so wound tight right now. Oh, my goodness. And, and people just take offense so easily. And we should expect that from the world. We shouldn't expect that from the church. Well, there we especially, are. Especially the leaders in the church. Yeah. But that speaks right to the issue you're talking about. Whereas you get there's a nominal. And there it's all about you and your you, whether you have got the religion or you have been, you really mean it and so on. And the believer says, no, I needed fundamental help. And so the first, <laughs> the first thing we have is, you know. Humility should be the basis. Oh, definitely. And I really do think a lot of it comes down to taking ourselves way too seriously okay. and believing the world revolves around us. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I think we have to, have to almost go to war in our own hearts and minds about those things every day. Amen. Now, having studied at uh, graduate and postgrad, you then went back to Tallahassee. I did. And you started a church there, City Church City Tallahassee. Church in Tallahassee. And when did you start that? 15 years ago. 15 years ago. So the, the summertime will be 15 years, this, this, this upcoming summer here in 2022. Now, so the church there, um, do you remember how, you, what did you ask a handful of friends and say, let's go start? It really was that, it really was like that. <laughs> and so lately, since we've planted, uh, church planting has really taken off in the United States. I mean, it really is a like strategic, active, urgent sort of effort by, by a lot of different organizations including the Send Network, which we're a part of, uh, planting churches all over the place. That hadn't started yet when we planted. There was definitely church planting going on, but it wasn't quite as celebrated and encouraged. Mm -hmm. It's almost seen as threatening or competition or those type of things at the time. Thankfully, that's changed a lot uh, in terms of how it's approached. And now it's almost a badge of honor for a church to get behind a church plant. It was not like that when we first planted. So we had some obstacles for sure. Uh, But we really just, I'm from Tallahassee. It's my hometown. It's where I heard the gospel for the first time, was being invited by Tallahassee people to go to the sports retreat, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And I saw all over our city my own story. A lot of people wow. that I grew up with and knew and just people that are part of Tallahassee life and culture that if they filled out a survey or any kind of form and were asked to indicate their religion, they would check Christian. Yeah. But their reason for checking that has not depended in any way, shape or form on the cross and resurrection. Amen. It's just, again, I'm not trying to be a broken record here, but it's like they see themselves as good people, vague belief in God. They're not Jewish. They're not Muslim. Oh, that means I'm Christian. And and their reason has nothing to do with Christ Mm -hmm. and and really a confidence in themselves that they are righteous. And and I think it's sort of a a walking example of Galatians 2.21, that if righteousness can be achieved or attained by keeping the law, then Christ died for nothing. And it really is a functional working out uh, of that idea. Uh, so I just saw a lot of folks that, that I believe – because I think one of the things we get wrong about cultural Christianity 
is we often think that it's a discipleship issue. These folks just need to, you know, get more serious about the Lord, get in church, be in their Bibles, get a better, more spiritual disciplines, uh, th- that type of idea. When I think it's an evangelism issue, mm-hmm. I, I'm not, not the judge who's a Christian who's not, nor do I want to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not my job, but the scriptures are. Mm. And they're clear that many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, perform miracles in your name? And Jesus said, so I think the most sobering words in all the Bible, away from me. You workers of lawlessness, I never knew you. He's not talking to atheists. Mm. He's talking to people that had a, had a theistic faith. They saw themselves as good people, and they were active in doing good religious deeds. Mm. But their motivation and their reason wasn't Christ. Mm. So therefore, they actually didn't know Christ. Man. They knew religion. Yeah. So I see that all over my city, right. and I want to make a difference there. Not just me, but the people who are around us in our church. And so I got some friends together and, and kind of painted the picture of why I just told you. We need not there are other there are other good churches in our community. Of course there are, but there aren't enough. <laughs> and and we wanted to be a church that was that first and foremost was serious about the scriptures and the gospel. And because of that, had a white hot urgency to reach our community. <laughs> Because I think far too often people in, in kind of in our tribes that love theology and love the gospel, a lot of times their heads are so much in books <laughs> that they're not out there making a difference. Amen. So we want to say because of the theology we love, more importantly because of the God we love and what we believe about the gospel, we want that to compel us to go mm. into our mission field. So, so we really wanted to see a church that was serious about the Bible and serious about the lost. Outstanding. And God, God's been kind to us. Excellent. And so what are you, how many people was, did you start with? We started with about 20 in the 20s, like 24, 25 people around those, line, around those lines. And just to see what the Lord has done uh, at our Easter service, 2022, we met at our local university's basketball arena. Had over 4,000 people at our Easter service. Now, that's Easter. That's not a regular week. But it was yeah. incredible to see what yeah. the Lord has done. And a lot of people who attend are the folks I described. They were like me wow. Wow. You know, before they came to Christ. And so we see, but we have a church full of serious believers that are very much a part of our city. They're working regular jobs. They see uh, their, their mission field as their family, their neighborhood, their workplace. And we're seeing a difference made for Christ hey, in our community. We're far from a perfect church, but but we definitely are clear on who we are and what we're trying to accomplish in our city. That is precious. That's precious. Now, listen, most of us are not in a place where we're uh, we are dealing with your last two or three or four years. Most of us are in a place where we're dealing with your year one uh, and your year two. How did you get 20 friends to say we'll follow you? I mean, listen, you, you can't you don't you can't say because my character was wonderful. But can you talk to it? <laughs> can you talk to it? Because that's yeah. that's where a lot of young people listening are thinking, I want I want to serve the purpose of God in my generation. And I see a lot of Christianity, which I think is not very inspiring. Yeah. And I want to see something beautiful done. So mm-hmm. how did you get your 20 friends to say, yeah, we'll follow you? Yeah, if you a few had my last name, so they had to come. Uh, but then others, <laughs> but then others. Uh, I think it was really two things. One, relationships matter so much. And I think I don't think we can underestimate what it means to really invest in someone, baby, and for them to know you and trust you and see you do ministry and those type of ideas. So I think that was a big part. And then second, we were just – I think we really help people understand that the local church is a means by which God wants to reach the world. Come on. And people want to reach their friends. And, mm-hmm. and, the, and mm-hmm. I think the best way to do that is, is through the church. So, so I think just that vision cast for that to be – and then there's one other thing. It's not about me, but I think the Lord positioned me. Yeah. If you'd asked me when I was in high school, 16 years old. What do you want to do when you grow up? I'd have told you I want to be a pastor in Tallahassee. Okay. So my life had been kind of building towards that. Right. So decisions I made to go to university, to go – like all those – were in the, what I studied, 
all was in the context of one day coming back to Tallahassee to plant a church. No kidding. I thought it'd be later down the road. It mm-hmm. happened earlier than I thought it would. I was 26 years old when we started. Okay. Uh, but the God was was kind despite my immaturity and my inexperience and my ignorance and those those type of things. But I think it was relationships, vision, or the two things we saw the Lord kind of put in place. But uh, but the overarching thing was it almost kind of been the tra- trajectory of my life is that God had set me up to do that. Okay. So I'm um, so I really never turned from it okay. in terms of that calling. So would you say that the people around you knew that about you? Definitely. Okay. So they had seen he'd always he's wanted he's always wanted always. to do this. And they agreed to come be a part of it. Okay, and there were a lot of them, but early on and then but from there and after the church got established, we then saw people that really wanted to be we call them bringers they wanted to bring their friends amen you know we think it's more than bringing your friends to church we don't think it's less than that you know so and they they actually saw themselves as missionaries they were immersed in like what i just call it regular tallahassee life there's a part of it and they saw themselves as representing christ everywhere they went and saw the church as a big part of that so a lot of their identity in a positive way was tied to the church okay so that is in many ways that's simple and in many ways that's profound because this is you're talking about life purpose but you're talking about and what you're doing on Saturday night. I mean, these are these are profundities which go through right through to the the flesh. They go, they go from the bones right to the top of the skin. So that is uh, that is precious and wonderful. Also, what you're talking about there is um, the, the the friends who have gone before us have played with these variables, played on these variables, I should say, uh, because characters from church history have done this. Characters from like Spurgeon, and you're also talking about Puritans who have. Who have seen the, the the beauty of Christ, and they have brought it out for people on a week by week basis. Look, have you seen this? Have you seen this? And there's there are therefores attached to this. Now we went through a whole bunch of people this morning on the, the church history walk. Who are people who have inspired you from church history? Yeah, so I mean, being in Thomas Watson's former church today was a pretty surreal experience for me. I mean, you know, and until sin becomes bitter, Christ won't become sweet. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. like just the, the sweetness of the gospel. Like we're not going to understand. What, what I talking about back to cultural Christianity, if I don't actually really believe that I'm a sinner and that God is repulsed by sin, I'll never understand how significant it is that he loves me. Mm-hmm. I mean, what a massive deal that is. It's while we were sinners that Christ died for us. That just that, that quote, you know, just seeing that come alive. Uh, and so I'm, I'm not, I'm not a, um, I'm not a scholar of his, but just, just a quote like that, you know, mm. really, really significant to me. Mm. So something that I really, something that I have really been grateful for, and it's more, much more modern mm-hmm. than it is, I guess you could say a historic, I, are those who kind of awakened my generation in the United States to, for lack of a better way to put it, Calvinistic theology. Mm-hmm. And I would hope that Calvinistic theology leads us to be on urgent mission because we believe that God sovereignly saves sinners and he uses us as his mouthpieces to communicate the good news. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Uh, so I want to, so this is much more modern, but I'm so thankful for the ministry of someone like J.I. Packer. Mm. Yeah, I know it's much more than American and you live in America, but, but like how many people in our seminaries he introduced to the Puritans who had kind of gone dormant for a lot of people. I know Murray is attached to that as well, yeah. uh, obviously. But so many people started reading Packer, and they were awakened to this whole new idea. Uh, I think of uh, John Piper, who's still living, but uh, he really awakened a lot of people to Edwards you know, in the United States, who had not read much Edwards before. And I heard Piper say one time that he had a professor who uh, encouraged every student – this is back when Piper was young and in, in seminary – to pick one person from church history – and become an expert on that person, mm-hmm. like like a lay like a lay expert. We just you've read everything they've read, and you've div- dove into their entire life and their memoirs and everything. And, and Piper decided to pick Edwards, 
And I had a chance to hear Edwards at – or hear Edwards have been nice – to hear Piper uh, at Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., passed by Mark Dever. I got to hear him give a biographical sermon on Jonathan Edwards, mm. and it was pretty – it was like on a Sunday night, and it was pretty incredible. And so, 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 that, so that's been a big deal to me. Um, R.C. Sproul. You know, who really pointed a generation of Americans to the doctrines of grace and really had us fall in love with the doctrine of justification and, and what that means. And so, so these are significant people that pointed us towards a lot of the heroes, you know, from church history. Uh, Sproul pointed us to study the Reformation oftentimes in America, or we knew of it, knew what it was, the basics, but really pushed us to Luther's writings and to what was really taking place and was honest about a lot of the teachings of the Catholic Church. Uh, and so, so these are things that just kind of – these are some people that really pushed us to do those things. So I'm just really thankful for those mm. who who did that, who, mm. who who got the works of the Puritans. No, John – J.I. Packer, John Owen. Amen. I mean I, I can't tell you how many times early in life, in my ministry life, when I'd be listening to or reading Packer, and he pointed us to Owen. It would just all start – I never would have touched John Owen probably. Yeah. And probably many Americans would have never touched him if it wasn't for Packer and then the influence he achieved. I don't even think he was trying to. He's such a humble man in the evangelical seminaries of the United States. Wow. So you see people like Albert Moeller, who's the, one of my heroes, who's the president of Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky in the U.S. I mean who who is he pointing people to? Yeah. Packer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he's quoting Edwards. He's, you know, th- these are the people that are coming out of these like old Baptist seminaries, you yeah. know, are, are now are now reading the Puritans and pointing yes. us to the Watsons and to the Richard Sibbs and, and, and to those type of people who I don't know if a lot of people wouldn't have touched those things. It wasn't okay. for what Murray did with Banner Truth. Amen. And then Packer, um, you know, Sproul, uh, Piper. I mean, these people that really kind of push and awaken people uh, to these things. So that, that's when I think about that. That's, that's who, and it's very modern more mm. than it is church history. And though some mm. of these men mm. have passed away, like Sproul's and, and Packer with the Lord now. But, but those are, I'm just really grateful for the, the emphasis that those men had on pushing us to those great heroes of the faith. Well, what's striking here is you, you clearly are a, a man of action again, a man who's made things happening. A, you are a builder, and Paul speaks of building, building, building. Right? Someone set up a foundation, and this is what you're talking about. You're talking about guys who can parse justification. Guys, and and that, that is provocative, because there are people now who are saying, you know, you don't hear it so much, I wish they were. You, know? <laughs> you get people who are just go, let's go and just plant. But with what? You know, what? if you try and make a fire, a paraffin, congratulations, you know, it's gone immediately. <laughs> but if you put some fuel in there. Now, the, the interesting thing is you're, you're so grateful for people who introduced you, which I think is precious and lovely. I think also well, something, something which is interesting there is you're talking about Packer's humility, which I think is extraordinary. Because not least, here's a guy who, uh, who unquestionably is very potent. But what was, what was um, how do you trust him? Well, he wasn't forcing anyone. He's just saying, I found something beautiful. And you go, that is beautiful. And it's kind of won you. And it's interesting, too, that he's always – I've had a chance. I had a chance to meet him. and But in his talks, in his writings, how he's always pointing you to someone else <laughs> rather than himself. Ultimately, it's Christ, right? And it, it, it's it's Christ's victory and, and what Christ has accomplished for us and the sovereignty of God. But also he's he champions others hey. like who have gone before us. And he's not saying, hey, don't read. I know you're reading me right now, but read Owen. <laughs> you know, that's what he's wow. saying to do. And that's in, in a world where, where really there's a temptation to always promote yourself and to platform yourself. My, my, again, I don't, my, I have limited knowledge of Packer 
personally, I have a lot of, I think I have a decent amount of knowledge of Packer in terms of his writings and his products he's put out for the church. Uh, but in terms of him personally, I just had a chance to shake his hand one time and thank him for his ministry. Uh, this is about probably 10 years ago. Uh, but I think that, that that's just a, I think we need more of that yeah. who are po- who are elevating others' ministries, pointing to other minds in their own, celebrating other churches like, like that aren't just say, hey, here, read this from me, but also, hey, read this from him. Amen. Like this, this is good stuff. That's and Packer such a model of that. You know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's beautiful. And the, yeah. the day in which we live, you got your TGC guys, that's their push. Definitely. They, they, they're saying, look at this, look at this. It's a beautiful generosity. And I can't, I can't even count how many people, when you ask, what's your number one all-time favorite book or impact book that say Knowing God? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, how many people say that? I mean, I'm so many people say that. <laughs> knowing God, you know. Yeah. Also, what a, what a what a concept to point people to the knowledge of God. Yeah, that's right. beautiful, and it's so accessible and so beautifully written. Mm-hmm. Yes, three of my children read at the moment. Great, they, there you go. <laughs> they, they uh, when they can find their copies, it's a real yeah. pain. Right? Yeah, but what a what a gift that book is to many, and yes. I think it's going to be one of those books that's read for for generations yeah. and beyond. Yeah, yeah. When he when he when I was I think when Sproul died, yeah. I put up. I thought the holiness of God. The reason for God, Keller, mm-hmm. desiring God, Piper, and knowing God, Packer. I thought they were the big four. I, I think that's right. And, the and last fifty s- years, Sproul. Uh, my uncle sent me R.C. Sproul's Holiness of God for my 18th birthday, and in the book he wrote, he just had a card and he said, "Happy birthday, you're ready." Oh, as whoa. in to read this book. Come on, I love it. <laughs> and he's had a huge influence on me, and uh, and he reads the guys we're talking about. You know, so um, he, he's a he's a layman. He's a, he's an attorney in Washington D.C. And, and it really had an impact on me about just his love for theology, his love for God, his love for the church, his love for reading. And he put Sproul in front of my head, and I never I never thought about God that way. Again, I was raised mainland Protestant, you know. So to have R.C. Sproul's Holiness of God in my hands Man. was just it was, it was a kind of paradigm shift for me, kind of yeah. a defining moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to this day, I point people to that book regularly. That's be- I mean, I was talking to Chris Larson the other day. Ligonier, yeah, I know Chris. Sure. And, yeah, he was. We were talking about the, the significance of it. Was that changed? the life of charles colson that book it was an awesome incredible thing but but i just i just also just come back to the way that you was it your uncle your right uncle my uncle the way he put it was he did not say you better read this he says you're ready, you're ready. i love that you're ready graciousness for this. it's time <laughs> i love that beauty yeah, it's time yeah I'm, I'm really thankful for him and um and also another thing this is also connects to to london especially uh, he arranged for me to be the intern of uh, the rector of the Falls Church at the time in Washington, D.C., uh, which is an Anglican church, uh, Reverend John Yates. So I got to be his assistant. John Yates was very much influenced by Stott. Uh-huh. And John's son was actually served as Stott's intern research assistant for a season. Uh, wow. Yeah, so, so I had a chance. He had this library, all these Stott books, and all of a sudden I'm reading The Cross of Christ, I'm reading Stott biography, Between Two Worlds. I see his Acts commentary, his Romans commentary. And he had a definitely a big impact on me for sure. Yeah, well, I'm teaching a seminary class uh, in the month and uh, later on this month at one of our seminaries back home, and one of our required uh, textbooks is is a stop book on preaching the preaching between two worlds so yeah. i'm excited for that yeah outstanding yeah. and it, interesting again here's a guy who yeah he can dot i's he can cross t's theologically but he was he's just known for his graciousness oh yeah and also his making theology come alive come like on. what are we going to do with this yeah. like we have a mission field like we're going to care about these issues and care about the, those who are not only far from god but those who are vulnerable who are hurting and i think he did a great job of of that i, I don't like the word balance i want to be kind of all in whatever we're doing but but that idea of like we sh- this theology should not keep us in our libraries it should mm-hmm. lead us 
out into the world. There's a therefore. Yeah, therefore. Yeah, definitely. So I really appreciate Stop for that. Yeah, outstanding. Yeah, yeah it was interesting. So many of these people from London. It's fascinating, isn't it? Excellent. What are you up to presently? I know you've yeah. just written this book, Pure. Yeah, just, just, I just wrote the book, Pure, which is on sexual ethics, and uh, but in a way that hopefully comes alive for people to see why. Uh, there's just a lot of pushback, even in the Christian community, which is mind-baffling mind to me, uh, towards sexual ethics. They're viewed as being oppressive or outdated or irrelevant. And, and I think they're as true today as they were when God first gave them to us in the scriptures. And there's a, a whole idea of this concept of purity culture. Yes. And you talk to like a lot of single Christian adults that just hear the words purity culture and they just push back and they mm-hmm. and they really kind of almost come unglued. They get angry. They have bad thoughts. And I was raised in kind of – I came up as a high school student in the middle of purity culture. And my once I became a believer in some of the associations I had, you, it was just – it was in front of us all the time, this idea. And I do think there were some missteps and, and some kind of wrong approaches that were taken by what is now known as purity. We didn't call it purity culture back then. It's been called that in hindsight. Uh, but so, so in the book, I say, okay, let's say, and I, and I, the first couple of chapters, I kind of trace that movement, what it was like kind of coming up in it. And I say, okay, let's say that everything they say negatively about what we now call purity culture is true, as in they're right about their critiques. Okay, let's just for the benefit of the doubt say that. Does that change the fact that God has a clear design in the scriptures for human sexuality? And I would say not even the slightest, you know, so, so we can't, the old phrase, throw the baby out of the bathwater. Yep. Like, like we have to be able to understand God's good gift of sexuality and how he has defined it for his glory and for our good. Amen. Uh, so I have chapters on anything from pornography and adultery to cohabitation, uh, sex and marriage, homosexuality, um, cover the really much of the whole realm of what is sexuality today yeah, and how yeah. we understand it. And I just think we have to talk about it and talk about it in a way that lay people can really understand and grasp. Mm-hmm. Because an area where I see, especially university students, uh, young adult Christians really struggling is how to maintain their faith in a world that is militant towards any kind of sexual ethics mm-hmm. outside of consent, maybe. Uh, and so we have to be able to disciple our, our our church members to be able to articulate the Christian worldview and God's design yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in this world. So yeah. I hope the book can do that for people. Uh, the, the, one of the things you do in the book is you draw attention to the it, – it, one thing Rosario Butterfield says, which you say very similar, is that the cure for homosexuality is not heterosexuality. Oh, yeah. And you're saying – you're saying early on when you're talking about the whole um, – the, 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 the what would they call in that? Purity code? Purity what? culture. Purity culture. There was this idea that well, – essentially the way you put it is – it was like they were trying to push abstinence for the sake of the future spouse. And thereby you were saying they were essentially putting, setting up one idol and saying, don't have that one, have this one instead, mm-hmm. instead of gospel. So you're bringing people gospel. You're saying, oh, yeah, because that, that idea was almost a modern day prosperity gospel. Well, there we are. And it was that the whole idea, the whole approach of save yourself, as they would call it, was that you don't want to be the person on your honeymoon who hasn't done that. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel of grace. Yeah. It's our motivation for sexual purity should be God, you know, God's glory, God's design. It's almost an act of worship to if we love God, we'll obey his commands, right? Yes. We're going to love the one that first loved us. Yeah. But it was more just it was more scare and fear and shame. Mm-hmm. And so I understand the angst people have towards it. Yeah. Uh, so when it comes to homosexuality, again, you know how many straight people and by sort of people who were not gay and, and were married and even had lifelong marriages are in hell today? 
you know, being punished for their sins. And the way that you get reconciled from your sins is not through heterosexuality, no. right? It's through the, it's through Jesus Christ, That's you know? So, so I think that we have to make sure that, that people understand that those with same sex attraction or maybe you're living their lives in a full, you know, gay lifestyle. We're not asking, we're, our message is not, Hey, knock it off, you know, like, like, like clean up, stop doing that. No, our message is you need Jesus. Amen. And then here's what it looks like to know Jesus. Oh, yeah. You know, it's now that we understand that once you're, Again, we're not expecting people who aren't Christians to act like they are. Well, this is like it. I, I'm a Christian. And I struggle enough acting like I am. <laughs> Why should someone doesn't have the Holy Spirit? Theologically, they can't act like they are. <laughs> and so I think our message about sexuality, especially when it comes to same sex uh, and the whole LGBTQ conversation, is to make sure that we're preaching Jesus Amen. and not heterosexuality. Amen. But then when people understand who Jesus is and we disciple them, then it's like, hey, here's what this means now. God has a design, and it's one man and one woman who are married. You know, that sex is not for ready people or in love people or engage people it's for married people and god has created marriage between between a man and a woman and it's as plain as can be in the bible i mean this design it's the people who are trying to distort and take away what the scriptures say i mean a man and a woman designed by god to be married is as clear as can be in the scriptures as anything else is i mean it is as plain and simple as possible so we have to make sure that we're able to contend for that and are clear on that and at the exact same time realize that for someone who's coming to faith out of that lifestyle it's going to be a difficult road. Yeah. So it's going to take patience and kindness and grace and love to be able to walk with people in ways that we can't even fully fathom because we haven't had to deal with that. We're one of the first generations to really have to deal with this. But you're hearing stories of people converting out of these lifestyles, again, not to heterosexuality, to Jesus. Amen. And then we let Jesus and the Holy Spirit do the work and change them okay. and be there for the discipleship long haul. The fascinating thing is you're even getting secular people now who are saying this is what's going on here. This is ridiculous. What's oh, yeah. I think, I think we're finally, people finally saying enough is enough with just the, the radicalness of it. It has become <laughs> okay. so extreme. But here again, though, you're, what you're describing is you're first of all describing the ministry of the local church, people coming alongside. Mm-hmm. You're talking about a, a, a gracious motivation. But also you are, in your critique, undermining this nominal thing wherein people are saying we just got to yeah, just be well behaved. Yeah, and it's, uh, just, yeah, that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is right. And you, yeah. but that's, this is all part of your, this is all part of your, your push, your push. I want us to define Christianity by the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Well, this is it. And, and that be how we understand the, the faith more than anything else. Yeah. And then the rest of it's part of the discipleship conversation. Amen. Now, now how shall we live? Yeah. 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 Who have you found, it wasn't necessarily going to ask this, but who have you found helpful on the therefores? Therefore, how can we live? Because I imagine your answer that would be quite, quite interesting. Yeah, so I have a lot of respect for people who are unashamed and proclaiming the good news unwavering in very tough secular contexts. You know, in areas where there, it's costly to believe the way they believe and where they're told by, I guess, the peanut gallery, as we call it, uh, by critics that you can't do that in this city. Like you can't be clear on this in New York City. And then there's Tim Keller. There you go. Who's standing up and proclaiming this is what God has said in his yeah. word yeah, yeah, yeah. and doesn't compromise. You have someone like an Albert Moeller yeah. at Southern Seminary who is clearly articulating a Christian worldview mm. of not just what it looks like to believe rightly, but also to practice. Mm-hmm. What does this look like in the public square? Mm. No one's better than that right now, in my opinion, than Albert Moeller mm-hmm. and how he's leading people to understand these things. That, uh, those are two people that come to mind immediately. That uh, briefing podcast is outstanding. That's fantastic. You know, I mean, like, like just that, that morning snippet, you yeah. know, of, of here is what's going on right now in our world. 
And here's how I believe that Christians should think about this and mm-hmm. respond to this and how I want to encourage you to, to do the same and carry on. So there's some, those are just two voices that I think are just so important mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. But yeah, people who are in, who are in contexts that are difficult. Yeah, Mueller's a seminary president and hopefully everyone in the seminary is a believer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but there's, we have a, you know, the statement of faith you must sign to be a part of it and those type of things. But he is influencing an entire generation of Christians mm-hmm. of how to articulate this and to live this out. Mm-hmm. So you have Keller doing it pastorally mm-hmm. as a missionary his city yeah. impacting us all over the world yeah. and you have Moeller from the scholarly Christian worldview kind of like Keller's a scholar as well but doing it in more the day-to-day worldview type of idea mm. uh, so those two to me really come to mind and are I think are very important for us to be thinking yeah, to, to yeah, yeah. for us as we think about the faith it's striking how people have been critical of Keller because they want someone to just attack yeah, it's, yeah, why don't you I, kick him? And he's saying, "Well, you got to, you got to love him." Isn't that the gospel we all agree with? And you kind of go, "Oh yeah, grace." And he's doing it in New York City, <laughs> where there's, it's hard to find. You know, yeah. where it's a very hard place to pastor and plant a church. I thank God for all who have endeavored to go to go there. Uh, John Tyson is another one. Oh yeah, uh, I think he's doing really great work in the city as well. Um, I think of uh, the work that's been done uh, at the Austin Stone Community Church in Austin, Texas, a very secular city now. Uh, Texas is a very Bible Belt state uh, in terms of much. Christianity, but Austin is not. Uh, so this is a church that's really writing a lot of good worship music uh, for the church. Uh, seeing just a lot of neat things happen there, uh, so I, I'm, I'm grateful for that. So, so that's what really is kind of spurring me on right now. Are our faithful churches and institutions? in difficult secular contexts that are mm. unwavering, yeah, that are unashamed, uh, that love God and love people, and, and they're and they're unashamed of the gospel. That's they don't scary. need to alter it. They don't need to appease anyone. They're saying, here it is. Mm. Here's what Jesus says. And, yeah. and I'm thankful for that. You mentioned Rosaria Butterfield. I'm mean, just incredible what she's doing. Uh, Rebecca McLaughlin, mm-hmm. uh, who's uh, out of uh, a friend of mine's church in the Cambridge of Cambridge, Massachusetts, uh, by uh, next to Harvard University, mm-hmm. uh, what she's putting out right now and talking about the secular creeds and, and talking about same-sex relationships and those type of things. I think there's some great women out there that are writing some pretty some pretty helpful things for the church as well, which I'm which I'm grateful for. Mm-hmm. And finally, I'd be interested to ask, what advice would you give to people who listen to this, as broad as you like? Yeah, I, I think one I said earlier, I want to bring that back again is please fight to not take yourself so seriously. I mean, we have to be, we have to have people who, especially pastors and ministry leaders, we need to be very approachable people who can have real relationships and real conversations. Uh, people shouldn't be nervous to talk to you. And I get sometimes what the pastoral role in general can bring about that. But I, I think that pastors have to see themselves as the lead missionaries in their communities. And bring other people along with them on that. Okay. I, I just think that's so important. Oh. Just relationally, I, I, you can't you can't impact a community from the office mm-hmm. all day. Yeah, there's times you need to be in the office. You know, be studying, have the means we need to have, the counseling we need to have, both sessions. But I, I think that we have to see ourselves as as missionaries. It should not you shouldn't have to go through four doors to get to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, as a pastor, I, I really believe that doesn't mean you can be available to everyone all the time. Obviously, mm-hmm. but but I think we need to see ourselves that way. And then second, I think we have to figure out for the future what it's going to look like to not drift to one of the fringes, because it's so easy in this loud social media world to almost become radicalized in a non in a non-militant violent way but just kind of and and to men use social media as a weapon so i think mm. holding the center mm-hmm. and by the center i don't mean i'm not talking about politics yeah, yeah. i'm not talking about being a moderate so it's yeah, not being yeah. moderate about jesus christ Amen. i'm talking about the evangelical center Mm-hmm. But like, where are the thoughts of the future? Yes, so you know, true. Where, where, where are yeah. they? And, yeah. and I think we, need, I think Keller is an example of that. Yes. Uh, so I, I think we, but 
when you hold the center, you're going to get critics from both sides. So true. Because there's people Absolutely on the, true. for lack of a better way to put it, the far right, who again thinks Keller's is some kind of cowardly figure or compromised when, just, just because he's not going to champion a certain American political ideology. Uh, and then you had people on the left who think he's some sort of bigot because he's clear yes. <laughs> on the scriptures, on the Bible. Uh, so I think holding, I think we've got to figure out what it looks like to hold the center. Yeah. And that's going to change. The center's moves a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but we, we have to make sure we understand that in that it's not the gospel it's moving. Yeah, yeah. It's not the scriptures are moving. It's like, what does it look like to carry this out in our context? So, yeah. so I, I think in that process of not taking ourselves too seriously, of seeing ourselves as missionaries and then as trying to hold the center, I think all that goes back to a love for God and for his mission. Amen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's because I just want to make sure that the disciples we are making are people who are following Jesus into the world. Amen. Yeah. And I think if our, our, if our studies aren't leading us to that, then maybe we need to reexamine how we view discipleship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, it is it is obvious that a lot of people who are Christians who are on social media, they don't have any unbelieving friends. Sure. Otherwise, they wouldn't be putting up this angry, contentious, intra-church critical stuff. If they do have non-Christian friends, what are you doing? Have you not noticed that people are watching? People can see your feed. Yeah. And the wrong idea of what Christianity is. This is absolutely. Yeah, I think about it all the time. When I post things, I go, oh, I had people that follow me from our community Amen. who aren't believers. Yes, you know, And so that we have a relationship. Like, man, I go, ooh, how are they going to – how is that going to come across to this coach at the university yeah. that I know and have a relationship with? Yes. It, that type of thing. Yes. It, it kind of goes back to let, let them be offended by the gospel and not by us. Yeah. You know, type yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm far from perfect at that. Yeah, yeah. But I think about it all the time. So a lot of times I'll delete something for missional purposes. Yeah. So I'll go, you know what? I might agree with what I said. <laughs> but I'm, I, I mean that. But I'm deleting it because – it just wasn't necessary to say in this venue, Amen. In, in this medium, Amen. you know, and I think that that's an important yeah, dis- discipline. I interviewed Mes McConnell. Who, do you know of Mes McConnell? He's a, yeah, oh, yeah, Scotland. Yeah, yeah I love him. Yeah. I love him. He said, I just got off Twitter. He mm. says, I got off Twitter because he's found he was just fighting battles with people who frankly were sitting there annoyed on their iPhone somewhere. And, you know, he said, I've got something to do. I've got, I'm a, and he's a leader. He's a leader. Mm. He says, let's go. Let's do something. You know? Yeah, and don't let other people tell you what Twitter has to be for you. Yeah. Like if you don't want if you, if you don't want to follow someone or they make you upset, mute them. It's not <laughs> sinful to do that, Amen. you know. Amen. Amen. And they say, well, then you don't have any contrary voices in your head. It's Twitter. <laughs> it's yes, like, come on. It does, it's, <laughs> how do we have contrary versus voices in our head before this? Relationships, right? this is it. This and, is and, it. and reading, and you know, consuming you know, knowledge and yeah, those yeah, type yeah, of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, but the second thing to to reflect on there is this whole issue of, frankly, what you are describing. We were wanting the center place. It's your. It's an issue of leadership. Yeah, we're gonna. We got to go. We got to move forward. And when someone isn't there, I had to, to be the one. Be the one who's let's go move forward in conviction, ready to accept correction if necessary, based on conviction of what the text says. And there are no, as you say, they're just where are they? Where are they? Because it's so much easier to go run with the tribe to the fringes. Outrage builds a platform. That's so true. And so outrage to the right, outrage to the left, you know, that, that's, that's what builds a platform. And when that is the goal, we're going to go that way, right? Because it's selfish ambition. A lot of times people don't realize they're doing it. But there's something in us that wants applause that, you know, and so what, what, get, what gets a, a retweet? Not you posting a Bible verse, but you having an outrage comment. <laughs> so true. And so that's as Christians, so we just have to go, what are we doing? Amen. You know, we have people in our lives who go, what are we doing? <laughs> you know, and, and not be afraid to ask, ask those questions. But again, if unless we first see our role as disciples, as missionaries, as God's ambassadors, as if he was making his appeal through us, we plead on your behalf, be reconciled to God. If we don't first see ourselves as that, then guess what? It's not going to be our first priority. 
like we should and i think i want to qualify that i want to make sure i i I land this right so i'm not taking out of context here but we should care what other people think about us not in a way that it calls us to compromise paul and galatians because of their compromise on the gospel was saying am i trying to win the approval of god or man that's a bad way of wanting to win, win approval but i should care how i'm represented amongst unbelievers because we're light mm-hmm. right that Amen. we're supposed to let our light shine before others Amen. so so i heard a pastor say one time that we should people should, when they come to church they should be offended by the message that they're going to be offended not by the parking lot <laughs> right? Outstanding. Yeah, not by the lobby yeah, yeah, <laughs> and not yeah, by yeah. the greeter you know that, that type of idea yeah, yeah. so i just want to be careful of those kind of things yeah, i'm not perfect there but it's always on my mind right. and when i am Probably the hardest on myself is when I mess up there. Amen. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, this because, is it. yeah. Well, ambassadors, that's right. That is right. And that is a superb way in which to end. And I, and I thank you for bringing it to us because, frankly, I, I'm concerned about the lack of leadership in this area yeah. at the moment. Yeah. Where, where are the next – where's the next John Stott? Amen. Like where – yeah, I mean where – I think Keller is, is in that realm. Oh, yeah. You know, for absolutely. us. But, that, but, again, there's more. Again, and also I'm sure there's – I want to make be clear. I'm sure there's really faithful people doing this. We just don't know their names. Yeah, you know, they're in their context. I would say press on to you. Well, that's but in it. terms of the national, even worldwide leadership, who's going to be that for us in the next generation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we, firstly, we, need, we need it. Firstly, they're going to be having it in their communities, and they're firstly they're going to be doing it in, with integrity in themselves, and then they're going to be saying to a few friends, "We would come with me." Yeah. And let's see that. Let's see that multiplied. Let's go this way. Hey, yeah. what a superb opportunity to have this time with you. Thank oh, you yeah, so much. I'm so thankful for the chance to sit down with you. I admire you a lot and respect you a lot. So thanks for your ministry and all you're doing. Bless you, Dean. For more episodes of the Christian Heritage London podcast and for information on Christian Heritage London events, tours and walks, please go to christianheritagelondon.org. 